Hey, we want to tell you about a new podcast episode from our friends at NPR's Planet Money. This episode is called If Elected President, and in it they basically imagined a future where promises that presidential candidates make come true. And what would actually happen if we, say, offered everyone free college like Bernie Sanders wants to, or adopted Donald Trump's tax plan? So if you want to know what the future looks like, check out Planet Money wherever you get your podcasts or on the NPR One app. Okay, here's the show. It's the NPR Politics Podcast here with our weekly roundup of the week's political news. In the wake of Super Tuesday, the Republicans had another messy debate last night. We'll talk about that, the primary states voting this weekend. We'll also answer some of your questions from email and Twitter. And as always, we'll end the show by talking about what we just can't let go this week. I'm Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter for NPR. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And we we have all survived Super Tuesday, which seems like a minor miracle. Um, Major please. miracle. It's because there's more stuff coming up. Oh my there's gosh. no time to stop. Can't Just, stop, won't stop. Um, Can't stop till you get enough. But I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, our listeners, haven't heard our Super Tuesday Now What episode, go check that out. So here we are, another Friday, another morning after a GOP debate that sounded like this. I have a policy question for you, yes. sir. Let's see if he answers it. You're... I will. Don't worry about it, Mark. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, little Marco. I will. All right, well, let's hear big, big Don. You know, Your, Donald? Don't worry about it, little, right, wait. Don't worry about it, little Marco. Gentlemen. Let's hey, hear, hey, gentlemen. Hey, you, ought to, you ought to show up. Gentlemen, you gotta, you got to do Chris. better than those. Chris. This guy has hey, the number one, Mr. The number Trump, one I ask absentee Mr. Trump, record in the United States. I'd like to ask States you a policy question. It's like the rat battles in 8 Mile when the crowd is just like, ah! No, that was a good movie. <laughs> And good insults, by the way. So this was on Fox News. Later, Trump also called Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz. He called him Lion Ted. I've given my answer, Lion Ted. I've given my answer. All right, let's leave it at that. So later in the show, I think we're going to come up with our own nicknames. So there wasn't a ton of substance in last night's debate. But uh, there was a lot of drama, and and that drama was heightened by what happened earlier in the day when Mitt Romney, the 2012 GOP nominee, came out and gave a big speech taking down or trying to take down Donald Trump. Think of Donald Trump's personal qualities, the bullying, the greed, the showing off, the misogyny, the absurd third grade Theatrics, And then he basically laid out a plan for the party to defeat Trump. I believe we can nominate a person who can win the general election and represent the values and policies of conservatism. Given the current delegate selection process, that means that I'd vote for Marco Rubio in Florida and for John Kasich in Ohio and for Ted Cruz or whichever one of the other two contenders has the best chance of beating Mr. Trump in a given state. Sue, is this just basically... Mitt Romney saying, all right, guys, let's have a contested convention. Yes, period. Full stop. I mean, Mitt Romney, I think what he did yesterday is we can't underscore how significant and historic and yeah. huge this was. Mittens took the gloves off. The 2012 Republican presidential nominee threw down a gauntlet that said we have to stop the 2016 front runner from getting the nomination. And I know that party leaders and people hesitate to call Donald Trump the front runner. 
but he is the front runner. Yeah. He has won more states. He has more delegates. He has the polling advantage. He has every, he has every advantage in this race. And they are now throwing everything at, at him to stop him. And this is this is unlike we anything we've ever seen. Well, the thing that really frightens them was watching the Super Tuesday exit polls. I mean, for Donald Trump to win in a place like Georgia and Massachusetts, win Massachusetts with his highest margin of anywhere, meaning he won post-grads, he won a lot of college grads. He's expanded what was thought to be this base of support among high school or less. These are the kinds of numbers and the kind of path that a presumptive nominee get. Now, there's still a lot left to play. There are about a thousand delegates up between now and March 15th. But what Mitt Romney is calling for (laughs) means that you would have a contested convention or a brokered convention because the point is that Marco Rubio would have to hold Florida. John Kasich would have to hold his state of Ohio. Neither of those two guys can win in the other place. And by the way, they're both trailing Donald Trump right now in both of those places. In their home states, Sam? What really stood out for me with Mitt's speech was the tone of it. There's plenty of evidence that Mr. Trump is a con man, a fake. Mr. Trump has changed his positions, not just over the years, but over the course of the campaign. And on the Ku Klux Klan daily for three days in a row. We will only really know if he's a real deal or a phony if he releases his tax return. To hear him say that Trump is a fraud, that Trump is a con man, he called him out for Trump steaks and Trump vodka and Trump university. And let's that, that was very interesting. Mitt Romney sought after and accepted Donald Trump's endorsement in, in his own 2012 election. Yeah. It's my honor, real honor and privilege to endorse Mitt Romney. I've gotten... At Trump Tower in Las Vegas. In the photo, he had like, wow. But he had a great line then when he sort of stepped back and you could see Romney say, well, I never thought I'd be standing here and doing this today. There there are some things that you just can't imagine happening in your life. Uh, This is one of them. Uh, (laughs) Being in uh, Donald Trump's magnificent hotel and having his endorsement is a a delight. You know, and Mitt Romney said that he would not. He tweeted out that he would not have accepted Donald Trump's endorsement in 2012. But let's like do a little bit of fact. But wasn't 2012 the birther stuff going on? Yes, like Donald Trump was Donald Trump. Yes, Donald Trump was Donald Trump in 2012, too. And maybe some of the statements he said in this race have that have been more provocative would have challenged that. But who he is, is not a shock to the American people. He was full on birther. Yes. Yeah. But that was the only thing he was known for. But he that wasn't was a known. Big thing. He wasn't known yet for saying that uh, Mexicans who come to the country are rapists and some are good people. He wasn't at the time saying that we shouldn't allow any Muslims into the country. He opened a further Pandora's box that became, you know, much more difficult to squeeze back in. How much, I mean, will this have an effect? I mean, it's not like there is a large trove of Mitt Romney supporters well, waiting to see what he and thinks, And in right? the debate last night, the audience booed when they asked about Mitt Romney. President Mitt Romney had some things to say about you today. He, he said your domestic policy will lead but, to recession. But, like, Mitt Romney is not acting without us. the consent of... The establishment. The establishment. Okay. He did not give this speech of his own accord. I think, you think he was asked? I think that there are forces at work in the Republican Party that are now colluding to see what Grasping they can do they can. Well, to there stop are, them. Right, and, there is that donor network of people right. who Mitt Romney thought he could have used to get into this race way back last year. And Romney was right at the precipice of getting in and made the decision not to. And 
you know, I think he's had to have watched a lot of these debates and be really annoyed that no one has been able to shred Donald Trump the way he felt like he was able to go after people like Herman Cain and Michelle Bachman and everybody else in that 2012 Republican primary. I mean, Mitt Romney was a very good debater on those kinds of points. And it was able to do things that I think some of these Republicans have not been able to do to Donald Trump. But this doesn't change the game, does no. it? It does not change the game. It's part of a pattern, though. So you had the Romney speech that happened. It also opened the door for other Republican leaders like John McCain to then put out statements to say, I agree with Mitt Romney. You also the have... The 08 nominee. You also... Exactly. You also have three major groups, uh, two super PACs, both anti-Trump super PACs and the Club for Growth, which is another big Republican group, all piling money into Florida right now to try and make sure Donald Trump does not win Florida. I mean, there are real substantive movements on this chessboard happening right now. To try to make that contested convention happen. I want to go back to the debate. Um, Let's go to this moment that happened early in the debate, and it's about hands. I have to say this. He hit my hands. Nobody has ever hit my hands. I've never heard of this one. Look at those hands. Are they small hands? And he referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee you. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. I, you know, he could have even... just left it there like, and, at, before yeah. it, right? And said, like, these aren't, I mean, if he had to go there, but he didn't have to go there, but then to go further. But I mean, like, couldn't... as Domenico pointed out on Twitter last night, I think, like, we kind of spent more time in this debate on hand size right. than we did on, like, Flint, Michigan. On Flint, which is amazing. They were in Michigan. Well, the audience it, was pretty this, white, too, yeah, in but, Detroit. But regardless, I mean, the fact is the debate moderators have a responsibility to set out a course of responsible questioning, okay? Yeah. The fact is, like, you have to try to get to the serious substantive issues. And when you're in the state where people were drinking poisoned water, it's with a Republican governor. It's yeah. amazing. And you have a governor on that stage and John Kasich from Ohio. You have three other people who want to run the country. It's not just a debate about the Republican Party. And even if it is a debate with the Republican Party, how is it that Democrats are allowed to just own clean water? Is that really that's really well, what but they basically are letting Democrats own clean water? Well, because like Mark Rubio was asked about it. What happened in Flint was a terrible thing. It was a systemic, systemic breakdown at every level of government, at both the federal and partially the, at both the, the state and partially at the federal level as well. And by the way, the politicizing of it, I think, is unfair because I don't think that someone woke up one morning and said, let's figure out how to poison the water system to hurt someone. But accountability is important. I will say I give the governor credit. He took responsibility for what happened. So and he's rallying around the governor, the governor instead of, you know, trying to say what they would do differently to govern. And the Democrats, we should say, are going to have a debate in Flint, Michigan on Sunday. We're going to get to that very soon in the podcast. But back to the debate. Did we learn anything about policy? I think we learned that Donald Trump is not afraid to admit that he's changed his mind on lots of policy positions. And I must say I found that refreshing because I think all politicians do that, but they want to hedge about it. And he said several times on several issues, I changed my mind. And and here he is saying that about immigration policy. Yeah, I'm changing. I'm changing. We need highly skilled people in this country. And if we can't do it, we'll get them in. But but and we do need in Silicon Valley, 
we absolutely have to have. So we do need highly skilled. And one of the biggest problems we have is people go to the best colleges. They'll go to Harvard, they'll go to Stanford, they'll go to Wharton. As soon as they're finished, they get shoved out. They go, they want to stay in this country. They want to stay here desperately. They're not able to stay here. For that purpose, we absolutely have to be able to keep the brain power in this country. So you, you are abandoning the position on your website. I'm changing it and I'm softening the position because we have to have talented people in this country. And, and I mean, I, I just, I have to say, to the I was already. okay. Like, yeah. I he just, doesn't talk like politicians talk. I, and, and that's part of his appeal. Yeah. Like that works. And you'll see that like with Hillary Clinton where she won't necessarily say that yeah. she changed and she'll find some Evolved. way to yeah. yeah there's been a lot of evolution yeah but what's amazing though is that flexibility ideological flexibility is not usually something that yeah. works well in a republican primary and the fact that donald trump is able to say that and it probably no repercussions is amazing and this is cruz's argument against trump is that you can't trust him because he doesn't maker. believe yeah. in anything but you know that he tried that in south carolina there were ads in south carolina so this is i guess this is my bigger question does anything matter? Does any of this matter? Does any? <laughs> I, I have a theory about what matters more. I think over the course of the last several debates, Americans writ large, particularly swing voters, have come to see the GOP race as a circus, as a hot dumpster fire. And like, I think that's going to turn people off. I think Republicans wanted point. to avoid anything that looked like what they thought was circus-like from 2012, which is why circus. they wanted to shrink the number of debates. Yeah. I think after last night, they probably wish that they had shrunk the debates by one at least uh, because they we've heard a lot of what they talked about before. You know, we've heard a lot of the policy arguments. We've heard a lot of, you know, everything when they had 15 candidates on stage, you know, so there isn't a whole lot of new ground for them to tread. And when you get to that point, then you wind up with this kind of debate. And that must turn off some voters, right? Well, but except hot dumpster fire and all, the Republicans have record turnout. Yeah. State after state after state after state. So And that I, is one hundred percent attributable to Donald Trump. To one and, Donald J. Trump. Well, and Barack Obama. I also think yeah, we are watching in some ways the Republican Party fracture. I mean, we're watching it in Not real just time. Fracture, and it's explode. been happening for a while, but it's it's becoming more and more to the forefront. And I think it's important to remember that a lot of base voters, a lot of people that are voting in the Republican primary, look at the party elites like Mitt Romney and see him as much the problem as Democrats, huh. that they do not differentiate between the parties. It's about elites in Washington. And you hear and that, that argument all the time from people like Ted Cruz, too, right? Or, and the Tea Party. Well, they'll say, we elected somebody who was moderate in Mitt Romney. We elected somebody who was supposedly the most moderate in John McCain. They elected uh, Bob Dole. You know, those people all lost. So they need to rally around somebody who's more conservative. And with Donald Trump, there was one line he had last night in that debate where he said, you know, it doesn't matter because that's how I feel. Last two debates ago about waterboarding. And Ted was, you know, having a hard time with that question, to be totally honest with you. They then came to me. What do you think of waterboarding? I said, it's fine. And if we want to go stronger, I'd go stronger, too. Because, frankly, that's the way I feel. And that maybe summarizes the entire, like, reason for his candidacy. It's, it's a feeling. He's making people feel something on the Republican side, on the conservative side, uh, that is fueling his candidacy. Okay, so this debate was all about taking down Donald Trump, dumping Trump. But then at the end, they were all asked, would you support Donald Trump if he's the nominee? Yes or I'll no? I'll support Donald if he's the Republican nominee, and let me tell you why. Because the Democrats have two people left in the race. 
Yes, because I gave my word that I would. And I, I will support whoever is the Republican nominee for president. Mr. Trump, I'm going to And they all said yes. They which were is like, a, psych. Which is really amazing. I mean, you had Mitt Romney earlier in the day saying Donald Trump was a phony and a fraud. You had Marco Rubio having made the argument that he'd be dangerous for America. You, John Kasich certainly stands apart as, quote unquote, the adult in the room, as he called himself last night. And when it came down to it, all of them said that they would support Donald Trump, which then in the end says, well, how dangerous is he anyway? What is the strategy with that? And like, is this a thing about the convention and whether or not it's brokered or open, as they say? I think it's a, it's also a lot about thinking about the general election, because then the one thing they say is even Donald Trump's better than Hillary Clinton is what they say. So that I think it's that pivot where they want to protect themselves from when Hillary Clinton uses all these cuts in her oh, yeah. campaign ads. Which she right. will. And Marco, she will and Marco Rubio made that exact argument with Stevens Keep on Morning Edition this morning in talking about how, well, you know, it's not a good reason to vote for Donald Trump, but it's better than Hillary Clinton. And we are going to talk about Hillary Clinton in just a moment. But first, we have to take a break. Support for NPR and the following message come from Personal Capital. Combining free online financial tools that provide unprecedented transparency with personal attention from dedicated financial advisors. The result is a complete transformation in the way you understand, manage, and grow your net worth. On the web at personalcapital.com politics. Okay, we're back. And on the Democratic side of the race, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are getting ready for a debate of their own Sunday in Flint, Michigan. Uh, Sam, what are you looking for? I am expecting the Sanders campaign to try to pivot a bit in their strategy of outreach to black voters. They're saying that they expect some difference between northern black voters and southern black voters. And so their hope with Michigan black voters is to talk about how Clinton-supported trade policies have hurt the black working class. I'm just not sure if it's going to work or not. And Sanders tweeted out, uh, his campaign tweeted yeah. out a photo of uh, houses in Detroit that had been abandoned and blamed it directly on trade policy. The, these were like pictures of decrepit houses. Blight. So the thing that I kept hearing was that a lot of what happened in South Carolina was that they didn't have enough time to really connect with black voters. But at this point, Bernie's been in the campaign for 10 months. He's had a lot of surrogates of color in and out of that state and around the country. At some point, it's not going to be about time anymore. And I i don't know if there's any reason to expect a significant shift in the black vote from south to north after South Carolina. There's also, to me, if Bernie can't win Michigan, to me, this seems like it's a, it's a very it would be a very significant loss for him because even beyond the black vote, Michigan is a state where Bernie Sanders' economic message should, should resonate. resonate the most. Uh, his trade policies, I think why he's hitting that is NAFTA is still lingers in a state as something that was devastating Hugely to unpopular. jobs in the state. I just think on the economic argument, if Sanders gets smoked in Michigan, you know, he doesn't have to leave this race, but does it just seems that Hillary Clinton becomes more inevitable if she wins big in Michigan. But I also think that Sanders' team is not concerned about trying to leave this race at any point soon. Yeah. Well, then, for them, it's an issues fight. It's about ideas. Say, it's about ideology. And they feel like they owe it to their small donors who believe in this fight to keep going. Well, but I think yeah. Michigan is Bernie Sanders' last stand. The way his aides were talking about it, I mean, they were basically saying, you know, OK, you know, these southern states, but Michigan, Michigan, that's our state. 
And frankly, like you've done the delegate math, Domenico, yeah. but he needs to start winning some stuff in and big margins. in big and, margins and we should, because Hillary Clinton is when when Hillary Clinton wins these states, she, she's winning with she huge margins. Well, and we should note, though, that for what the numbers are at this point, I what mean, are they? Bernie Sanders would need about 53 percent of all the pledge delegates remaining to so, win. So that's delegates that come from primaries and caucuses. Right. And that are not superdelegates who are these. Uh, unpledged party leaders and elected officials with them factored in because Hillary Clinton has such a huge lead with them. He would need 59% of all the delegates remaining because of the proportionality of how delegates are allocated from here on out. You know, how you vote, basically the percentage that you get statewide is the percentage that you get of the delegates, essentially. Some of them have some congressional district portions in that. But because of that, it makes it a very difficult aircraft carrier to turn around. Now, we should say the pledge delegate number is the one to watch because that super delegate number, you know, if it can change. It can change. And if Bernie Sanders were to win somehow the pledge delegate number and loses based on the super delegate number, you talk about a convention fight for Republicans, you would definitely have a splitting and a fracturing among liberal Democrats at the convention. But before Michigan, there are actually a number of states voting or caucusing over the weekend. Bernie Sanders is actually likely to win some of those. Um, but let's just really quick run through all of the voting that's happening this weekend. Sue Davis. <laughs> uh, Saturday is probably the most significant day, particularly for Republicans, and whether this establishment take down Trump strategy is getting any traction. Republicans have contests in Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Maine. Uh, Donald Trump is ahead in all of them. I haven't seen polling in Maine. I should take that back. But in the in the three states where they have polls, he's up anywhere between 12 to 20 points. So any if he doesn't win, that could be a moment where we say, oh, wait a minute. It, are, is this strategy really working? It's also going to be an interesting test because these are closed primaries, which what that means is if you're not a registered Republican, you can't vote in these contests. And Trump has done better in states where independents and other voters could vote in closed primaries. Ted Cruz has done better. This is why helped part of the reason why he won Oklahoma. He won Alaska. Those are closed primary states. So this is a chance for Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio to show that they can chip away at Trump support. If he wins all four of these states, it is just further proves the inevitability and of Trump. In particular for Ted Cruz, who's about 90 delegates behind uh, Donald Trump, he's you know, makes the case that he can win these values voters. He whiffed on Super Tuesday. He won Texas. He won Oklahoma. But he lost in all of those other places. He could have won Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee against Donald Trump. He'll have another opportunity this weekend to show that he can win with those values voters. And on Sunday, just to round it out, we have Maine and Puerto Rico. OK, we're going to take one more break and then we will be right back with some listener questions and can't let it go. We'd like to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors, Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer. 500,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code POLITICS for a special offer. A four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in politics. Okay, guys, it's mail time, and we're going to try to do a few of these lightning round style. I got a question on Twitter this week about why candidates like Jeb Bush or any of the others that have dropped out and possibly Ben Carson tonight, most likely. Why do they always say that they are suspending their campaigns instead of saying that they're ending them or dropping out 
my answer is pride and something related to campaign finance. Domenico, well, flesh this I've out. I've written about this before, and it's really a political distinction rather than a legal distinction. It's more of a soft landing politically for them. The thing is with the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, you actually aren't allowed to, quote, terminate your campaign until you've paid off debts and obligations. <laughs> so, of which there might be a few for a yeah. lot of these guys. Hillary, Hillary Clinton, in fact, had so much in debt and obligations like right? after that 2008 campaign that she owed millions of dollars to certain vendors, and it took years for her to to be able to pay those off. There was a time in this country where candidates took public funds. Remember those matching Mm -hmm. funds? Well, if you said that you were suspending your campaign, it still allowed you to collect those matching funds in order to pay off those debts and obligations or staffers or lighting or whatever else. Nowadays, that doesn't matter so much. Nobody's taking public funds, so it's not a, a reason for why they're doing it. But suspending versus ending, just a political distinction, not a legal one. And we should say Ben Carson hasn't even said that he's suspending anything at this point. He said, like, maybe, maybe not, IDK. He said he sees no pa- no political path for his future. But he also said that he wasn't dropping out. Yet, right. right. But and then he explicit. didn't go to the debate. Yeah. Okay, a couple of questions like this. Max emailed to ask, when a candidate drops out of the presidential race, what happens to the delegates they've already won? Well, when a candidate drops out of a race, delegates, if you're before March 15th at the first round of balloting at the Republican National Convention, they have to vote for that candidate. So Jeb Bush, other candidates who won four delegates, one delegate, they have to vote for them on that first ballot. After the first ballot, these people are all free agents, can go however they want. And at the Republican Convention, we might actually have more than one ballot this time. Angela from Spokane emailed to ask, why has the Republican establishment failed to rally support for John Kasich? She thought he seemed like a good candidate for the Republicans this year. Um, So that's a good question. I think the easiest answer is he didn't do well enough in the early state contest and the contest we've had so far. If Kasich had 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 more victories and had won more states, I think we might be having a different argument. Maybe Marco Rubio would be in that fourth slot on the stage and we'd be talking about Kasich. Uh, The talk around Kasich now is that is he now weighing people like Rubio and Ted Cruz down, that he doesn't have a path forward? And is him staying in the race making it harder to mount a campaign against Trump? He's fourth in the delegate race, 25 delegates only so far. Things might change if he wins Michigan and pulls something off big. And there's actually a lot of frustration at John Kasich right now for staying in a race he can't win. And is he also too much like a Democrat? You know, this was this for whatever reason, one of the many interesting things to me about 2016 was this was the year that one of the other reasons it defied conventional wisdom is governors just fell flat time after time after time again for reasons I think they're just seen as too establishment, too closely linked to the party. It has just not been a year, a good year to be a governor and run for president. And one last question, and we get this from time to time, about why we talk about Hillary Clinton's superdelegate count as if those votes are final, because technically superdelegates could switch their support to Bernie Sanders at some point. Right. Superdelegates are unpledged. They can vote however they want at the convention. They certainly could switch from Hillary Clinton to Bernie Sanders, but she has such a whopping lead with them that any kind of huge... Uh, movement of superdelegates to Bernie Sanders is highly unlikely. In 2008, Barack Obama certainly peeled off some of those Hillary Clinton superdelegates, but it was not a huge swath of them that would then put him over the top. He did wind up winning a lot of superdelegates, and he won the pledge delegates. And as he won those pledge delegates, more superdelegates came with him. And that's why the Clinton campaign is so focused on winning that pledge delegate count. And I will say that Clinton's campaign does not talk about 
about superdelegates at all. In fact, I think the only people talking about superdelegates are Sanders the campaign. Sanders campaign. So Wednesday morning after Super Tuesday, uh, they said Clinton's numbers in that regard are very squishy. And they kind of left the door open to say that that could be a challenge down the road. But, but should we expect that? It well, would be first... a very difficult argument to make if Bernie Sanders were to win the pledge delegate count and then the superdelegates were to decide the race. Ironically, this is exactly the reason why superdelegates were created in the 80s to make it less likely that a candidate they saw as problematic or couldn't win in a general election in their view, that's why they were created to stop someone like that. This could very well be academic very soon, though, because right. of the way Hillary Clinton is just sort of plowing through the states and winning the pledge delegates. She's winning the primaries. She's winning the caucuses. Unless Bernie Sanders starts winning soon in a big way, but if there's turn, no argument if he, to make about the superdelegates. And if he did turn it around, he would have an argument. Uh, before we go to Can't Let It Go, I know earlier we talked about Little Marco and Lying Ted and Big Donald. And I want to know, what do you guys think your names would be? I, I would be Lil Tam Tam. Aww. Oh. I am five foot one and a quarter, so I think I... And a quarter. Hold on to that quarter. Okay. All right, Sue, what are you? Um, I have actually been called this in the past, so I would go by Sizzle Dizzle. You've been called that? <laughs> yeah. I like SDZ. I did not make that up for this podcast. So who... SDZ. SDZ. Yeah. SDZ's good. We're, a lot of people do just call me Sue D, too, because it's kind of like an 80s rapper oh, yeah. kind Sue of D. thing, you know? Oh. <laughs> All right, Sam, what would you mean? So I got called Urkel a lot growing up because Aww. I looked like him. I could see in my. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you wear really high But pants? now you're Stefan Urkel. I'm Stefan. Stefan. Do you remember those episodes? <laughs> yeah, I do remember Stefan. But here's the thing. My parents tried to get me to enter a Steve Urkel lookalike contest as a child. And I was like, no, I will hate you guys forever. Anyways, because of that, my rap name can be Urkelicious, or I could be Double S, or, yeah. Is that the reason for the Chrome Dome, too? That That's just male there. pattern baldness. <laughs> Glad we went there. I'm just, you know, if we're channeling Donald Trump, everything is superficial in here. Okay, Domenico, what's your nickname? Uh, well, you know, uh, I've been called D-Money or uh, D-Nice. Yeah, it works. Yeah, It's all very early 90s. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> all right. It's time for Can't Let It Go, where we all share one thing we just can't stop thinking about this week, politics or otherwise. Sam Sanders. Have y'all seen that Vine from last night? <laughs> and we all swallow Cruz. hard yeah. when we know this is coming. Can we just hear me out before the size? Uh-huh. So Ted Cruz seemed to have a little fleck of something like on his lip that he ended up licking into his mouth over the course of the debate. And there were several theories about what it was. There were several creepy vines and gifts and images of it. And Spittle? I have a theory. Spittle. No, no, no it was theory. solid. It was solid. Some people were saying Tic Tacs. No, it was a tic-tac. I think, no. wait for it. All right. I think Ted Cruz has tonsil stones. This is a serious, quantifiable medical condition. Uh, the scientific name for it is tonsilliliths. Have you confirmed this with his campaign? I have. Well, he won't write me back since I asked him if he was the Zodiac killer. Oh, I forgot you did that. Last I did. Week to but anyways, here's the thing. It happens to lots of people. If your tonsils are too big or you've just had tonsillitis, sometimes stuff gets stuck in your tonsils. Okay. Mucus. Okay, stop. Cells, no, whatever. No, no, but it, So Sue Davis, what's hold your on. It bundles up, becomes a stone, <laughs> and then you cough it out. So okay. maybe that's what happened. Maybe. Lena Dunham has had him. She's talked about it. It's a thing. Has he released his medical records yet? I don't know, but I have I don't questions. know if that would be in there. I'm just saying, if Ted Cruz had tonsil stones, he okay. is not alone. Don't suffer in pain alone, Ted. There are people who's, who feel your plight, man. 
Yep. Okay. Now uh, we're Bye. all, 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 all have to say. We're all yeah. said. I, we're all feeling. I this feel plight. like we needed a disclaimer. I can let that go. <laughs> yeah, we needed a disclaimer <laughs> okay, that y'all. said, hopefully you're not eating your Wheaties right now because you might not be able to keep them down. It does make me wonder about spent, the last time I had a cleaning. I spent at the five minutes on WebMD. I spent five minutes on on the WebMD. I know things. Okay. WebMD. Did you? Oh, I'm like a doctor on WebMD. Yeah, I'm like basically an internet doctor. So. All right, Doctor Davis. Uh, my can't let it go this week is a little bit off topic, but nonetheless, something I really was obsessed with this week was uh, earlier in the week on Monday, Justice Clarence Thomas spoke from the bench. And the fact that Clarence Thomas never speaks from the bench, he has not spoken from the bench in 10 years. It's sort of a Washington wow. curiosity yeah. that in all of these oral arguments, he's always been known to stay silent. A couple of years ago, he made a joke towards something Antonin Scalia said, but it wasn't he wasn't engaging in the in the cases before him uh, on Monday. There was a gun case. The substance of the case is not what I'm interested in here. What is interesting is that Clarence Thomas asked a question from the bench. And in the stories that were reported in it, obviously, there's no cameras allowed Multiple in the court. Questions. That um, the wires all reported that there was like an audible gasp in really? the room. That people talked. were like, <gasps> like, Clarence Thomas says something. What does his voice sound like? It's really deep and really booming. Um, the other Clarence Thomas thing I was also <laughs> obsessed about. Another one. Is that <laughs> is he was caught by TMZ, the celebrity network. Yeah. Caught is, you know sounds negative but he was filmed coming out of the Capitol Grill which is a Washington restaurant and he was actually very funny and engaged with this TMZ yeah, cameraman yeah. who asked him if he was going if he would support Lance Ito for the Supreme Court wait what? judge Ito yes <laughs> the, the judge from the OJ Simpson trial and Tom Clarence this? any chance um, President Obama might nominate um, judge Ito who no I what do I know he, he has a chance. He, I'm I, just a civil servant. I know he. J- <laughs> wow, that was a good laugh. Yeah, he's got a great laugh. He, he got to be looking for some some work a little bit. No, but you're a funny guy. What do you do? You just sort of stand around and photobomb people? No, no. Yes, no. yes. I know. You. I'm just giving you hard. Okay, time. man. We love your work, oh. man. You cracked me up. Did you go to NYU? <laughs> no, my sister did. Great school. Was you in law school there? No, she did. Um, she's he's a, asking she's actually, the questions. She did journalism. You can hear his voice. He's got a yeah, nice voice. Wonderful school. Yeah. So you go around bothering people? <laughs> no, no. Actually, we we find interesting people. What did you have to What did you have to eat? I know you no, like no, steak no, dinner. No, no, no. Come on, man. Come on. Was it Was it good at least? Was it, it was excellent. Excellent. Okay, man. Have a good one. Oh, Clarence. He's really into this. It was just oh, very Clarence. funny. That's I just thought it was very funny. <laughs> uh, so that was my can't let it go. All right, Domenico. My can't let it go has nothing to do with uh, dental work, tonsils, or, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas talking. But uh, a little bit on also more about talking, since it seems to be our theme, and when you can report something and not report something. Because in the debate last night, you heard Donald Trump uh, pushed on his apparently off-the-record conversation with the New York Times editorial board, which happens every so often where, you know, candidates will go in and talk to an editorial board, but talk to them off the record. I did have a meeting with the editorial board of the New York Times, a very nice meeting. Many of those things were off the record, I think, at their suggestion and my suggestion. And I think being off the record is a very important thing. I think it's a very, very powerful thing. And I will uh, say that. But I just have to say, and I tweeted this out last night, you know, it's never the reporters who are the ones stipulating that something should be off the record, right? I mean, we're all reporters here. Sometimes we'll say, okay, well, can you tell me off the record? But that's because we're trying, the person wouldn't say on the record. Yeah. What's the precedent for this kind of public back and forth over an off the record conversation? I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've never weird. really. I it's weird, right? One doesn't come to the top of my head on like yeah. releasing an off the record transcript. I mean, there's always, you know, some question about when somebody has 
you know, a mixed history ideologically and you know you want to know what somebody really thinks behind the scenes i mean think about some of the leaked videos from 2008 campaign where uh, barack obama was taped talking about people clinging to their guns and religion. oh yeah was that off the record uh, well it was at a fundraiser fundraiser closed door fundraiser closed door fundraisers those things don't usually get out yeah um and someone went in and you know uh surreptitiously recorded this and it gave a window into what president obama actually believed kind of Uh, like the 47 I was just going to say the 47% thing from Mitt Romney at that bar where somebody set up a little video and then leaked it to Mother Jones, the liberal magazine. Uh, So, you know, we have heard those kinds of things come out. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead, Tim. Okay, so the thing I can't let go is Senator Marco Rubio in his web store for his campaign has started selling all of these items, hashtag never Trump, like a red Trumpian hat that says hashtag never Trump. It's $30. Uh, Stickers, T-shirts, wristbands, like the Livestrong wristbands. (laughs) But the thing that's interesting to me about this is he's now fundraising off of this never Trump concept. Meanwhile, he actually, at the end of the debate, said, maybe Trump. Yeah, and it was was also... he, he, He didn't actually say never. He said... Possibly, sometimes, maybe, if he's the nominee, Trump. It was also really weird that after the debate, when they all said that they're okay with Trump being the nominee, that immediately after the debate, the Rubio campaign was tweeting out their new hashtag dump Trump yoga pants. Wait, was the dump Trump on the, the seat Trump of the pants? On, no, it was on the uh, leg. Okay, because okay. if it was on the... No, I got you. We didn't need to go there. Oh, oh more potty thanks words. For your, thanks for, for the... Why so many potty words. Yeah. All right, that is all that we have time for today. Thank um, goodness. Thank goodness. If you like the show, please rate it on iTunes. That helps other people find us and helps us keep doing it. You can find us on Twitter. Send us your questions there or by email. Our address is nprpolitics at npr.org. Thank you for writing us. Uh, We know we can't get to every question or answer every note, but we do read all of them. I'm Tamara Keith, or uh, Little Tam Tam, White House correspondent for NPR. (laughs) I'm Sam Sanders, a.k.a. Urkalicious, a.k.a. Tonsil Stones, campaign reporter at NPR. I'm Susan Davis, Sizzle Dizzle. I cover Congress. I'm Domenico Montanaro, otherwise known as D-Money. D-Money? It's okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.